Good evening and welcome to another edition of Rev. My name is Lori Enright and we are so excited that you've joined us for the next 30 minutes. At any time, if you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, send us a quick email to Rev, R-E-V, at EagleCountryOnline.com. Special thanks to Mark Kreimer and our friends at Kreimer's Beer House for making the show possible. Visit the Beer House for lunch or dinner seven days a week on State Route 128 in Cleves. Hey, David Vaughn here with Miss Lori. It's Sunday night, November the 3rd, and boy, November is here. My favorite month, by the way, Thanksgiving, getting ready for Christmas. Time change Sunday was just a day or so ago. You get that extra hour of sleep, beauty sleep for me, maybe not for you, but uh, anyway, it's good. November the 3rd. I, I can't, can't believe, believe it's November. I just can't believe it's November. I mean, we were just saying this when we said we couldn't believe it's October. I know. And I think the time changed. I don't know. I messed yeah, that up. Yeah, you, I messed you, it up you've last been ahead week, of so. schedule for a while. But <laughs> thanks for tuning in again to Rev Radio. And we hope again to rev up your week and revolutionize your life in some ways. If you haven't visited Whitewater Crossing, please do. Still doing Thursday night at 6.30, Sunday morning, 9.30, 11.15. You can watch online. You can go on the website. We're finishing up a high-stakes life series that we're doing. And actually, tonight's show is with Tyler McKenzie, who's one of our uh, regular teachers now. He's kind of finishing up that high-stakes message. And just a second, I'm going to stop and let you listen to Tyler because he's always good. And, man, he delivered another powerful message again on on living a high-stakes life. And that's what we try to do at Whitewater. I bet some of you... Listen, Eagle Country, you know, especially if you're near the casino, you know about this high stakes They're stuff. like, wait, are we talking about the same yeah. high stakes? I was due. I was in high stakes <laughs> I last was high night. stakes poker match. Yeah. <laughs> I went all in. Well, our all in is different than your all in, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, we're glad that you tuned in again. I'm going to stop and let you listen to Tyler's message uh, on high stakes living for really a high stakes uh, subject. Check it out. Generation after generation, the older generation beats the younger generation up. I'll give you an example. This is what boomers are saying about millennials today. Uh, You can put that quote back up there. Uh, They have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike in the Himalayas than climb the corporate stepladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one's zap of a TV dial. Said Time Magazine in 1990, wait just a minute, that was 30 years ago. Huh. Well, we're supposed to be talking about the millennials, okay? So let's forget about the Gen Xers. This is, what, this is what's being said about the millennials today. Uh, it says, the now generation has become the me generation, said the New York Times in 1976. So wait, hold on. This was about the boomers. Okay, now I thought it was the millennials. They're the ones that are taking this world to, to hell in a handbasket. So let's try this one more time. Uh, <clears throat> next slide. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. Said Hesiod in the 8th century BC. Now, are you following with me now? Okay, it almost seems as if every older generation just beats up on the younger generation. And thus, there is a division. And man, I think that there could be nothing more healing and powerful for the church than if we could bridge the divide across generation. Back to our list, uh, there are more divisions that I'm sure you guys have experienced. We're divided along gender lines, race lines, ethnic lines, uh, national lines, along wealth lines, and all those are on absolute fire right now in terms of the political realm, and they will only blaze hotter over the next year as we move to November 2020. But thank God, 
look at how divided we are, y'all. But thank God he gives us a fresh word on this from Jude. Now, uh, here's what I want to do. I actually want to read this passage from Jude together tonight. It's only about four or five verses. We're going to do a corporate reading. So actually, will you go ahead and stand with me, if you will? Just stand with me. Just out of respect for the word of God. If you don't respect the word of God, that's fine. You don't need to stand. You can sit. Or you can just stand out of respect for your Christian neighbors and friends who invited you tonight. But we're going to read this together. I'll read the part in white. You guys read the highlighted part. And, um, and as we're reading, I want you to notice the insight that Jude gets us about bridging the gap across division. Now, let me give you one little historical piece of information. Jude is very, very specific when it comes to what gap he's calling us to bridge here, what division he's dealing with. He's dealing with false teachers in his church. So one, it's a theological division. But two, it's a family division because these false teachers have started to lead some astray who were in the church. And back then, the church was a family unit. They met in households, 30 to 40 people big. They shared their homes. They shared their stuff. They shared everything. So when someone left the church, it was like losing a brother, losing a sister. These were family divisions, theological divisions. And that's what Jude addresses. We're gonna make broader application than that. But let's read it together. I got the white part, you got the yellow. You ready? This is what Jude writes. He says, but remember, dear friends, that the apostles of our master Jesus Christ told us this would happen. These are the ones who split churches, thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the spirit. But you, dear friends, this is the unending life, the real life, the eternal life. Go easy on those. Go after those. Be tender with sinners. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Love Eugene Peterson's translation of that passage. Now, I believe that from this passage, we learn three things about loving across division. Three things. This is what he teaches us. One, he teaches us where we should find our enemy. He's very clear on this. Two, he teaches us how we should handle an enemy. And three, he teaches us who is really the enemy. Three-point sermon, surprise, surprise, and that's what I want to walk you through tonight. Where, how, and who. Let's start from the beginning first. Where we should uh, find our enemy. Now, according to Jude, did anybody notice, where exactly should you locate the lost in your life? Where should you locate the outsider? Where should you locate the other? Where do you find an enemy? Did anyone notice? Well, according to Jude, it should be right in the center of your life. That's where. You've ever heard the phrase, uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer? This is basically what Jude teaches us here. Back to the passage. I've actually broke it up here in three little short pithy phrases. The numbers are mine, but the scripture is actually Jude's. He says, go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. Now you tell me, can you do number one from a distance? Can you do number two outside of the context of a loving pursuit, a loving relationship with someone else? Can you do number three from a distance? The answer is no. Come on, y'all. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being right in the middle of your life and one being out of your life, where does Jude call you to take your enemies and put them? Take those who've betrayed you, who've walked out on you. Take those who believe different than you and put them. And he tells you to put your enemy right in the center of your life. Our enemies should be in our homes 
around our dinner tables, in our hangouts, in our gyms, in our parties. They should be in our workplaces and on our org charts, in our dorm rooms and in our schools. They should be on our kids' t-ball teams and in our kids' classrooms and at our kids' sleepovers. They should be in our text messages, on our calendars, our Facebook friends and our Twitter followers. Our enemies should be on our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and they certainly should be invited into our Sundays because this is exactly where Jude tells us they should be, they should be found. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you for a second, though, honest moment of confession. That does not come naturally to me. To surround myself with my enemies, with people who are different than me. Okay, that does not come natural. And it's not easy either, by the way, because if they're your enemy or they're different, they don't wanna be around you either, right? So it's just like, it's, it's a hard thing to do. You know what I tend to do? My natural inclination when I walk into the room is to, is to go towards one of three different kinds of people. I go towards people who like me. I go towards people who are like me. Or I go towards people who I want to be like. That's my natural inclination, and I bet you it's yours too. But sadly, that's not what Jude calls us to, and that's not Jesus' natural inclination. One thing I've noticed about Jesus just studying his life, my entire life, is that he has a different knee-jerk, instinctual response to life. You ever notice? And the people he surrounds himself with, it's just outrageous. So Jesus had a really, really hardcore but soft edges. So anyone could get in his circle. No one left his circle without having a prophetic word spoken to them, but anyone could get in. And so he was constantly surrounded with the strangest, most offensive, most sinful, most violent people there were. I made just a short list of those for you, and I think some of these are kind of fun. First, Jesus surrounded himself with the ordinary, everyday nobody. Did you know that? The first, he, uh, the first people he called to be his disciples were two guys named Peter and Andrew. And you know who Peter and Andrew were? They were nobodies. They were blue-collar fishermen from a redneck part of the world called Galilee. And yet Jesus doesn't just call them to be disciples, he calls them to be two of the 12 disciples. Eventually, he's gonna hand the leadership of the church off to these two. One of them is gonna like run the show. Now you would think that if Jesus was gonna like set up the church and his leadership, he would have picked the best. He would have picked the most charismatic or the smartest or the wealthiest or the most influential, those who had real power. But that's not what he chose. He chose a bunch of nobodies. And you know what? That's encouraging for me because if he chose them, he'd choose me. He'd probably choose you too. Hey, do you believe you're a nobody? Is that what your dad told you growing up? You spent your entire life trying to prove him wrong? Is that what your wife told you before she walked out with the kids? Are you below average? Is that what your resume says? Is that how you feel right now at your midlife crisis? I want you to know that that's you and you feel like that's where you're at today. You have a tremendous invitation from Jesus because you know what he said to Peter and Andrew? He extended his hand and he said, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. And that purpose right there, my friends, has an eternal significance that 100 billion years from now we'll still be talking about. And it's for you. He invites the everyday nobody in his circle. Also invites the small town racist, this guy named Nathaniel. You guys remember him? So, so, Philip, his friend, walks up to Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, what's his name? Jesus, where's he from? 
Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, let me stop you right there because Nazareth, really? Nazareth? What good thing could ever come from that part of town? Have you been over there? Have you seen those people? (laughs) Nazareth? This was in Nathaniel's heart. And yet, know how Jesus rolls? When Jesus walks up to Nathaniel, he doesn't say, you've committed the unforgivable sin. He doesn't say, get out of my face or I don't want anything to do with you. He extends an invitation once again. And what does he say to him? Does anybody know? He says, just come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And I think he would issue the same invitation to any of you today. I know we've got people in this room who struggle with prejudice or racism. You probably wouldn't admit it. But man, in your quiet moments, there are certain people who you're uncomfortable with because of their cultural background, the color of their skin, whatever it may be. I want you to know that we have no tolerance for that at this church, but at the same time, we want to see that healed at this church. So you are invited to find healing here. Jesus wants you in his circle. He also invites the self-righteous Pharisee. John chapter three, there's this guy named Nicodemus who rolls up on him. Now, let me tell you about Pharisees. Pharisees thought that honoring God was honoring the law, right? Honoring God was honoring the law. So they were absolutely obsessed with the law. Here's how you know if you're a Pharisee today. You tend to respond in really one of two ways to God. You either constantly feel guilty because you're so obsessed with the law that you realize you can never measure up to it, or you constantly feel kind of smug because you actually do feel like you measure up to it. So you're looking down your nose at everybody else like, look at poor them, they sinners, you know, not like me. Okay, and here's the deal. Both of them are terrible places to live. And I'm not real sure which place Nicodemus found himself in, but I do know the invitation Jesus gave to him. Do you know what he invi- how he invited Nicodemus? He says, come and be born again. Find real freedom. But in my kingdom, we don't love the law. We have a law of love. And man, that would change the game. Same invitation for any self-righteous Pharisee in this room today. I, mean, I could go on and on and on and on with who he brought in his circle. A Samaritan woman who had a spiritual stigma, social stigma, Samaritan stigma, and by the way, she was a woman. But Jesus ministers to her, teaches her, and then he goes to her hometown with her, and for the next two days, they evangelize everybody. He invites the political fundamentalist into his crew. It says that there was a guy in Jesus' circle called Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? It's basically a jihad warrior, a holy warrior, someone who thought violence was the answer to purify the world for God's kingdom. There was this one group of zealots back then called the Sakari during Jesus' time because they, 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 they were the dagger men. That's what they're known by because they would carry daggers under their cloak and make political assassinations. They killed the high priest once. And yet Jesus invites Simon the zealot in his circle You better believe Jesus constantly invited little children in his circle. Every gospel tells us he had a soft spot for them. He invites the sick and suffering into his his circle because dirty hands, pure heart, that's how Jesus rolled. He invited the forgotten and the invisible into his circle because Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. He invited the sexual sinner into his circle. You remember John chapter eight when the woman's caught in adultery and they're about to stone her and Jesus stops the stoning and everybody drops the stones and Jesus looks at her and says, has nobody got a stone to throw at you? Neither do I. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He invites the grieving into his circle as he weeps with one of his close friends at the death 
of a mutual friend. He invites a betrayer into his circle as he washes Judas's feet moments before he walks out the door and hands him over to die. He invites doubters into his circle as he walks up to Thomas and he says, man, come on, stick, stick your hands in my scars. Go ahead. If that's what it takes, T, to get you on the same level here, we got to get you on the same page as everybody else because we got a kingdom to build. And oh, this is my favorite part about Jesus. He doesn't just invite the lost into his circle. He pursues the lost and brings them in to his circle. You read Luke 15, right? I know if you've been around this church long, you've read Luke 15. Three amazing parables, Jesus says. The first one's this parable of a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to find one that is lost. And when he finds it, puts it on his shoulder and he says, we gotta celebrate because that which was lost is now found. He says, there's another time where this woman lost one of her coins and she turned her house upside down to find that. She was turning over pillows, like looking under the rug in the closet. When she found the coin, she said, look, y'all come over. We got to celebrate because that which was lost is now found. Love the third story though. It's the story of the lost son. The son betrays his father, tells him you're dead to me, takes half of everything his father owns and goes off to a far off land, spends it all, Wastes it living the prodigal life. His dad thinks he's dead. But then all of a sudden one day, dad sees his boy in the distance, walking over the hillside. And you know what dad does? Takes off. And he runs to him. And as he's running, he yells back, kill the fattened calf, get my robe, get my ring, get my sandals ready because my son is back. He who is dead is now alive. He who is lost is now found. And that's who belongs in Jesus' circle. That's how he rolls. That's who he brings in to his loving embrace. And so that's who we should bring in, y'all. There's this interesting word in the New Testament. It's used twice. You may have never heard it before. It's this Greek word, philozania. Have you heard it? Philozania. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul uses it when he says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And always be eager to practice hospitality, or the Greek word there, philozania. So the first thing Paul says here is he says, help the insiders. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the second thing he says is, be ready to help the outsiders. Because philo is the Greek word for love, and zania is the Greek word for outsider, or other, or foreigner, or enemy. Could have been used synonymously in any of those contexts. He calls us to enemy love. It's used in even more of an interesting way in Hebrews 13 where the author says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, or that's the Greek word, philozania. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Isn't that cool? Now, I don't, it's beyond the scope of this sermon to explain everything the Bible says about angels and demons, because it's, it's a lot. But here's the one thing the author of Hebrews guarantees us. He says, perhaps, just perhaps, your best chance of meeting an angel this side of heaven is what? Entertaining the stranger, entertaining the outsider, embracing the other or the enemy. What dignity God gives to them? Do we give that dignity to them as well? You know where the enemy belongs, Jude tells us, right in the middle of our attention, right in the middle of our lives. That's point number one. That was the most important one. We'll fly through the second two. Second, uh, how we should handle an enemy, how we should handle an enemy. Uh, well, let's go back to the passage here. And again, I've broke it up in a little bit of a strange way. Last time I gave it numbers, this time I've put it into two different columns. You can go to the next slide here. Uh, so what does Jude say? He says, go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners. 
but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Now, do you notice something interesting about this verse? It's like a walking contradiction, if you will. Do you notice? Or or perhaps I could say it like this. It has this amazing balance. There's this easiness to it, this loving pursuit built into it, this tenderness that it calls us to. But at the same time, there's a hardness. There's a truth about it. It calls a sin a sin, right? Or do you know, do you know how Jude tells us to handle the enemy? Well, with both. With both love and truth. Now, if you've ever heard me preach before, you probably know this is a pet peeve of mine. I can't get on a stage more than two or three times without talking about this, without talking about the importance of modeling truth and love. Again, this is how Jesus operated. Soft edges, hardcore, right? And this is how we should operate. And I think we could gain influence 5X in our country if Christians just became experts at speaking truth and love. You need both, right? Because truth without love... No matter how true it is, no matter how clear you are, no matter how many biblical references you have, no matter how loud you yell it or if you type it in all caps on Facebook, it doesn't matter. No matter how true it is, if it has no love, it will not be heard because you're a butthead. (laughs) And that's what people think. Paul had this interesting way of saying it. Can I do this? I didn't even plan to do this, but I saw this coming out. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, you could speak with the tongues of human beings or of angels. What, what's an angel tongue? I don't really know beyond the scope of this sermon, but it sounds cool, right? He says you can speak with the tongue of angels, but if you have no love, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like this right here. Can you really hear what I'm saying right now? You can tell Could you hear anything I just said? Yeah, that's the point, right? And that's what truth without love sounds like. Now on the flip side, love without truth, that's no better because it's not love at all. It's enablement. And man, do we have an enabling problem in our culture today. Big time. One of the cultural messages that disciples the imaginations of our young people every single day is this message that says, follow your heart. Do what you feel. I think, okay, you laugh, I think that's what the prophet Jeremiah would do. In Jeremiah 17, he says, the heart is actually deceitful beyond anything else. What are we gonna do? It's what Jeremiah says. And yet, we t- okay, we've got a bunch of people out there who are first 90% friends, right? They'll love you the first 90, but when it comes to speaking the last 10%, they won't do it. They'll just say, follow your heart, do what you feel, all the way into your own self-destruction. Man, that's not a friend, that's an enabler. That's love without truth, and it's not love. It's not the self-sacrificial love of Jesus that's willing to lay down everything in order to see the best for even an enemy. So we need truth in love. And man, it's a hard, hard balance to strike. So I wanna give you a little practical, uh, <coughs> little practical application here, all right? I wanna encourage you this week on this to pray differently. I think that's the key, pray differently. All right, so get in your head right now. Just get in your head um, a name, a face of someone who you would consider like an enemy, an outsider, someone who's lost or maybe left the church, someone who fits this category, right? Get in, I want a name in your head right now. Can you get it? Take a second. I'll get some more water. All right, you got it? You got it? Okay, 
Now here's how I want you to pray for them this week. Rather than saying, God, make them, I want you to start praying about this relationship. God, help me. Now, when it comes to to people who are on that other side of the line of division, we're really good at saying, God, make them. God, make them straighten up. God, make them repent. God, just make them shut up. Like, these are the kind of prayers we pray, right? But those are the wrong sort of prayers. Because when you say, God, make them, one, one, you're putting all the responsibility on God, and two, you're putting all the blame on them. But Jude does not let us off that easy, does he? He tells us that we should be going after, that we should be tender with, that we should be going easy on, going, 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 right? That's us, we should be. So I wanna challenge you, put yourself in the prayer. God, not not God make them, God help me. Here's a few ideas. Maybe one of these will help you. God help me speak the truth with clarity, timing, authenticity, and compassion. All four words are important right there. Why don't you start praying that? Next slide. God, help me see them as you see them. For some of you, the hard part about loving your enemy is that you don't like them. I get it. I get it. But there are two things that God tells us is true and that he sees in every human being. One, the image of God, which means they have eternal, inherent, undeniable dignity. And two, the love of Jesus, because Jesus died for them. God, help me see them like you see them, worth dying for, even as an enemy. God, help me be irresistibly different. If you surround yourself with enemies, you will have temptations in your life, things that you will need to abstain from as a follower of Jesus. It just is what it is. In those moments, pray that you won't seem judgmental, but rather you'll seem irresistible in the way you live differently. God, help me listen. Come on now, y'all. Like this is... If you want somebody to respect the words that come out of your mouth, you have to stop and respect the words that come out of theirs. You can't just talky, talky, talky. Like you gotta listen sometimes. I threw this diagram in here just because I love it. I found this last Thanksgiving. And this Thanksgiving turkey right here will help you navigate those Thanksgiving turkey conversations that you know are gonna come up with Uncle Ted when he has that extra cup of of eggnog, okay? Like just just take some advice from this. Take a picture of this. How do you see it? It's a great way to listen. I wonder if, or I'd love to hear your take on this. You make a good point. Tell me more. Or my initial reaction is that all these are great ways to listen and open up civil dialogue. Here's the next one. Uh, God, help me meet violence, slander, and hate with love. Some of you are in conversations with people who don't believe or have walked away from the church or who are your enemy that come at you with hatred, with slander, violently and in those moments you're going to need a strength that's beyond you how about this next one Uh, god help me transform my anger into good i believe that anger can only be transformed that's the only way you can make anger good is if you transform it into something else into something higher if you internalize anger and just don't let it out it's just going to boil inside of you and steal your joy If you externalize anger, it'll turn you into someone who is cruel and violent. So you gotta transform it. So transform that anger into a stubborn compassion. I'm just gonna love you. I dare you. I'm just gonna love you. The apostle Paul has something to say about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, okay, when when you just pour kindness out on your enemy, no matter what they do to you, it's like putting hot coals on their head. He's like, kill them with kindness. Or not kill them, we're Christians. Convince them with kindness, right? That's what this is Paul. 
How about this one? God help me be graciously unassuming. Mm, Someone needs that. How about this last one? God help me forgive even if they don't deserve it or haven't asked for it. Because ultimately that's what Jesus did for us. Now that brings us to point number three and this is the final point here and this is, this is huge for all of us to wrap our minds around. Last, Jude tells us in this passage who the enemy really is. And this is the twist of the passage. This is the twist of the Christian worldview. And until you embrace who the enemy really is, you will never have the enemy love in your heart to be poured out on others. So so look up here now. I really need to pay attention to this last one because you need to understand who the enemy really is. You know who the enemy really is? Yeah, you got it, sir. You got it. That's right. The enemy's you. (laughs) The enemy's me. And we're back. And I love the way that Tyler communicates. Uh, He's very passionate. He talks quickly. He's got a lot to say. He runs around, so I I recommend coming and seeing him <laughs> yeah. in person yeah. live. Next time he yeah, he's here regularly as well as all of our other teachers. He moves. He's a mover. Yeah. We got a mover. He runs around enough for, to cover all of our exercises. He, so you get your steps in. He does. A- amen. So we are turning our attention now though to a brand new series that'll be for November before we get into Christmas. Uh, and we're gonna talk, I mentioned this a couple of shows ago. We're gonna talk talk about spiritual growth. We got this series called Recreate Yourself. And everybody's trying to recreate a better version of them. Mm -hmm. And this will be some helpful hints on how to kind of move up and grow spiritually, which I think is the church's job to help coach people uh, on the benefits Mm -hmm. of growing up. And maybe you're in Eagle Country and you uh, see a lot of people that just simply need to grow up in life. And this is be a great series to come, visit, come check us out, no matter who's teaching uh, I'm not quite as energetic as Tyler, and he has a little more hair. But other than that, uh, I think you might have a good experience. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. Again, we are always appreciative of Mark Kramer and the Beer House for sponsoring our show. And i uh, love to see you stop in there and talk about recreating yourself. Well, and the holidays good. are fast approaching, so you're going to have family in town and all of that. They have great dining for when you need to, to save your time um, Absolutely. and save yourself some time in the kitchen. So go there, and some man, people there. It tastes good. We had a staff retreat over there the other day, and he had the snacks and the food. And mm. we were thinking and doing well to let food hit us. And then That's I think my we, invite. we went downhill. I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> include you next time. Adjunct more. staff. Well, speaking of next time, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you again next Sunday night on Rev Radio from your hometown country station, Eagle Country 99.3. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Rev. David and I pray that this show has revved up your life, your faith, and your work week. Find out more about Sunday service times, youth programs, and how to plan your visit to Whitewater Crossing at whitewatercrossing.org and click on the New Here tab. Our show is blessed by Crimer's Beer House on State Route 128 in Cleves. I'm Lori Enright. Please join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. for Rev with Pastor David Vaughn, only on your hometown radio station, Eagle Country 99.3.